were you making runs across the border at all for any reason? I've gone across the border a few times in my day. And what reasons were those? <laughs> um, just to go, honestly, one of them was strictly to get tequila. You can get nice, really nice tequila for about half price in Mexico. That's that's good for climbing too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, hello. Welcome to the pod. I'm LJ Matson, and on today's Modern Playbook, rock climbing for life with a best friend of mine for life, Adam Janicki. Adam brings a unique perspective and deep experience in all things modern sports and fitness. For a quick background on Adam, he is a dietetic technician and nutritionist a personal trainer and fitness coach, and a climbing guide. Uh, He's been a climbing guide in the Waco Tanks in Texas for 13 seasons, and that's one of the more renowned climbing areas in the country that he'll be talking about, and he's been climbing for even longer than that. Uh, Unofficially, in terms of our friendship stemming from when we were quite young playing youth soccer through high school and college, Uh, Soon after college, Adam took off across the country in his sweet camper van, or at least one that he converted to a camper, uh, the infamous Green Machine, and he took off to discover the best rock climbing that the U.S. had to offer and to learn how strong he could be and become. And now, more than a decade later, we sit down here on the pod and figure out how it all went. I have some questions. So we get into all that. He also talks about rock climbing going mainstream as a whole with the likes of Free Solo and The Dawn Walls, movies that came out uh, to wide acclaim. Uh, We talk about some of the more unfortunate uh, injuries that he's seen while rock climbing. And he also breaks down the hardest climbs that have ever been done, both on the bouldering front and in sport climbing. We talk about those and where you can find those online. So a lot to get into. So without further ado, let's kick off with Batman. Of what use is a dream, if not a blueprint for courageous action? I must confess, you have an astonishingly good idea there, Doctor. Adam, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah. Happy to be here. When you first ventured out into the great wild here and kicked off your your rock climbing journey, was that in the green machine when you when you got your van ready and made like made that wooden bed, had that pack space underneath it, and then just took off at some point right after college? Was that the beginning of your rock climbing adventure? Really, yeah. That was the, when I look back, that was definitely one of the biggest kickoffs that got me excited about climbing um, and hooked forever. (laughs) That was a long time ago. (laughs) Yeah. How many states would you say that that rock climbing has taken you through? All the ones with good rock climbing. Man, uh, at least 10 off the top of my head. I've climbed all over the country. Have you been to all continental U.S. states? No, I've never been through Montana or North Dakota. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's pretty solid, though. What's a short list of the, the major U.S. rock climbing destinations that you've ticked off? All right. Um, the Red River Gorge in Kentucky, Yosemite National Park, the Waco Tanks in El Paso, Texas, Bishop, California, Rocktown, and Horse Pens 40, Romney, New Hampshire, and Rifle, Colorado, as well as Rocky Mountain National Park. And any, any favorites among that group? Definitely the Waco Tanks and the Red River Gorge are probably my top two. Yeah. And what do you think is the reason for that? They both have my favorite type of climbing, which is primarily upside down climbing when you're climbing out a roof or a really steep overhanging rock that makes you use your core tension more 
and really engages your whole body in a way that is super cool. The tension that created is unmatched in any other sport. Right. And is the rock the same in, in both areas? No. Red River Gorge in Kentucky has sandstone, which is relatively friendly rock. It's like 120 grit sandpaper. And the Waco tanks in El Paso, Texas has it's volcanic tuft wrapped in limestone boulders. So it's, it's a very abrasive, hard rock that, that can cut your skin and hurt you. <laughs> okay. Nice. Yeah. I remember when we were climbing in Switzerland, I think that was mainly granite and you liked the granite. You said it was, it was quite good, especially if it stayed cold. Yep, exactly. The cold temperatures allow you to stick to the rock better than the warmer temperatures. Right. It's all about that friction. Do you have any crazy or memorable climbing moments to help illustrate a, a day in the in the climbing life of Adam Janicki? Hmm. Well, always the sends are the most memorable when you have completed a really hard rock climb for you. It gives you this euphoric high that's much like a runner's high when you feel super elated and accomplished. Um, when I climbed barefoot on sacred ground, that was the hardest rock climb I ever completed. And at the top of that was definitely one of my most highs I've ever gotten from rock climbing. What was that climb like? What was the, the vertical on it? And was that, uh, was that sport climbing? No, that was bouldering in the Waco tanks. And it's a steep climb. It's very physical. The holds are small and far apart. So it's super powerful. Your feet could pop off at any moment and you could slip. Um, It's wrestling the rock as hard as you can. You're essentially wrestling yourself to stay on this thing. Um, And it's only about 15 feet tall. Okay. And you're just trying to make your way from side to side, basically, and traversing the rock. Yeah, it goes up a steep overhang. So you're going up like up, up out of a cave. Okay. Right. Is that a is that a prominent bouldering spot in the Waco tanks? Yes. Yeah, yeah it's on North Mountain. So there's the chains which lead you up the steep slab. So you're walking up very steep rock to get to the top of the boulders. And when you finally get up there, it's one of the first boulders in this cluster that you walk into. So a lot of climbers first times, they actually walk right up and right, right up to barefoot and sacred ground. Hmm. The Waco tanks is a historic state park and there's many regulations around it. People and climbers from all over the world want to go climb there. However, they only let 70 climbers on North mountain where barefoot and sacred ground is and 170 climbers in the back country, which is East and West Mountain. So you're lucky to even get in the park and get to go climbing. So usually when you get in there, you're super excited and grateful to be there. Well, you're a a long time climbing guide there, right? So you probably got that, you get that access. Yes, I've been guiding there for 13 years. Although it does not get me on a North Mountain, I have to wait in line like the rest of people that climb there. And after, after about like 13 years now they're finally coming out with a new guidebook for the Waco tanks which a lot of climbers think could increase the traffic there Mm. how do you feel about that um well because of the regulations with only allowing 70 people on north mountain and 170 in the backcountry it's not really going to make a difference for me but for everybody else it's going to be make it more difficult the lines will be long it'll be harder to get reservations um but because of the regulations, Waco can't get overrun, which is actually a really good thing because Bishop California is going through the opposite now where there's no regulations and climbers have been flocking there in mass numbers and the area is getting overrun. There's dogs running around, pooping everywhere, and it's getting kind of out of control. So Waco prevents that from happening, which is, which is pretty cool. That's relatively close to the the Mexican border. Yeah. Right. So were you making runs across the border at all for any reason? I've gone across the border a few times in my day. It's and what reasons little... were those? Um, <laughs> just to go, honestly, one of them was strictly to get tequila. You can get nice. really nice tequila for about half price in Mexico. 
Yeah. The that's that's would... good for climbing too. Yeah. First <laughs> <laughs> climb. Takes the edge off. Yeah. Yeah. So we've mentioned a couple of different kinds of climbing. Can you clear up once and for all, at least for my mind, the difference between, I guess I know the difference between bouldering and sport climbing. And I, I guess there's different disciplines within roped climbing, but just for listeners, what, 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 what distinguishes basic bouldering from uh, roping in or sport climbing? Bouldering is when you're climbing with no protective gear, except for a crash pad, which is essentially a mat that you throw on the ground underneath you. The boulders are usually 10 to 15 feet tall after 15 feet is considered uh, highballing, which is still bouldering. But after 25, 30 feet, you're definitely free soloing, which is when you're risking your life or serious injury. So bouldering is a relatively safe, low to the ground sport where you're not really putting yourself at risk. Sport climbing and traditional climbing is done in pitches. So a pitch is usually up to 100 feet long because climbing ropes are usually 200 feet long. So if you go up 100 feet, then you can lower back to the ground safely. So I primarily do single pitch sport climbing, which is up to 100 feet. And in sport climbing, there are bolts that are usually four to six inches that are drilled. First, you drill a hole into the rock, and then you put a bolt that's expanded. Um, so when you turn, when you turn the bolt into the rock, it expands and gets stuck in the rock, or they're glued in with this really heavy-duty epoxy. And so those bolts are every anywhere from 5 to 10 feet apart. So as you start on the ground, you go up and clip into each bolt as you go until you get to the anchors, and then you can lower back to the ground. So that's what single-pitch sport or traditional climbing is. Excuse me, traditional climbing mm. is when you put your own gear in as you and and I know they both have their their different uh, climbing grade comparisons or basically a rating system for how challenging the climb is. So w- what does that look like for bouldering? Can you just briefly explain the the V scale? Yeah. So the V scale is from John Sherman, who is this old school climber who is still alive today. He is traveling around climbing to this day, and he was a very prominent climber in the eyes of the America back in, I believe the 1980s when he was climbing all over the country and he was very strong and people would always ask him, Hey, Sherm, you know, what is like, how difficult is that rock climb? Uh, well, because he was a dirt bag climber too, people, his nickname was Verm. So they, they call him Verm, V-E-R-M. And when climbers would ask him, you know, Hey, Hey Verm, how hard's that? He would say, Oh, that's, you know, Verm zero or, or verm one. <laughs> and over time, you know, after saying it over and over again, they just uh, broke it down to V. He'd be like, oh, that's v, v zero or V one. So the V scale came out of from John Sherman. And he actually wrote one of the Waco Tanks climbing guidebooks as well. So uh, yeah, climbing now goes from V0 getting gradually harder, V1, V2, V3, all the way up to V16. And then what, what are, um, if you're in a climbing gym and you're just figuring it out for the first time or you see people bouldering in there, what, what range is that in? Most climbing gyms go up to V10 and after V10, they'll usually call it V hard. Um, it's hard to grade climbs accurately in a climbing gym under above v10 um so when you have a new climber a new climber going to gym usually doing v1 v0 or or v1 if they're climb v2 or v3 that's really good for a climber's first time in the gym um Mm. yeah what are you currently climbing at just what's your bouldering range at the moment i usually climb i climb up to v11 okay so i did seven v10s outside last year and, um, like I said, I did a V nine this past weekend. And I, so I, you know, you don't always send rock climbs, rock climbing is a lot about failing. You can try the harder ones and until you complete them. So I usually I'll try boulders up to V 10 V 11. And you're one of the strongest climbers I know. And that, that just, that just goes to show how hard it is when you're looking at, you know, V 11, V 12, V 13 and onwards, I can only imagine 
what those look like. And so naturally I had to look it up based off your recommendation. And am I right in that the current uh, top end of that, I'm not sure how to pronounce the name. Is that Nal that, that has the current uh, bolt? Nale, is that a V17? Mm-hmm. Yes, he had claimed to do a V17. I believe it was a few years ago. And um, that climb has gone unrepeated. Climbing is subjective to the climber. Um, and Nale is one of the strongest climbers in the world and has done several V16s. And for him, that's the hardest route he's ever done. And he called it the first V17 in the world. And that video is on YouTube, right? Yes. I think that's the one I watched. So, I mean, there, there's not that many moves, it appears, in that in that one problem. I mean, I, I think I counted five or six, which I was pretty shocked by. Can a problem or a project be that short? Yep. Hard moves are, often you'll have two or three hard moves on a climb, and they can range from five or six moves up to even 30 moves if it's a, a long traverse or roof climb. Yeah, that was uh, that was pretty impressive. It looked like a combination of small holds, but then also just being able to to get across these pretty big open open uh, spaces on the wall to get their his next reach. So, would you ever just try to max out, or is it all about respecting your limits and and knowing, okay, I'm a V10, V11 climber, I probably shouldn't try to max out past anything like what I'm at, or maybe a V12. Yeah, so I tend to not try to climb above my pay grade. And um, so I, I personally wouldn't try Nale's V17. Um, I very, I occasionally will, will try a V13 if it, I'm familiar with it and I've seen climbers who climb my style be able to do it. But I generally stick to, to what I can climb. So I don't denature the climb or polish the holds or maybe even break a hold. You know, I try to right. respect the climb and the rock for for what it is in my ability level. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause I think about the human nature side of it at first, and I would just think it would be so instinctual to want to see how you measure up and especially something that is so accessible and maybe it's only 10 feet and you want to see, you know what, maybe I could just jump, make the jump here and complete a, a higher V rating. But at the same time, what you're saying is that you also want to protect the integrity of the rock in the climb and the holds, um, which, <laughs> which is something uh, I hadn't thought of. And it, it just makes you wonder how many people might watch a video like that who aren't experienced rock climbers or understand uh, the, maybe the unwritten rules and just show up and kind of start trapezing around that rock. Yeah, that definitely happens. There's, you know, all sorts of people with all different experience levels. And sometimes climbers will, get on things that are above their pay grade and hurt themselves or, or hurt the rock in some way. And those things all yeah. detract the quality of the climb. So moving to sport climbing, I, I believe that's on a slightly different rating. Can you explain what that rating system is? I th- it looks relatively similar to, to, to the V rating, but just, I guess the numbers are different. Yeah. So the, Sport climbing is based on the Yosemite Decimal System, which is uh, America's grading system. What we do is we start at five zero, which is signifies fifth class. So in hiking, there's different classes of difficulty. So if you're going to say hike a, four, a, a fourteener in Colorado, um, there's third class and fourth class, which gets a little bit steeper and kind of in the scrambling zone. And then there's fifth class, which is when the rock gets more sheer. And that's when you definitely want a rope. So that signifies to all people that this is a steep rock and it's really serious and you need protective gear to do it safely. So the Yosemite Decimal System came out of Yosemite, California, where rock climbing really had some of its deepest origins, especially on a rope. And the Yosemite Decimal System starts at 50 uh 5.0 hence the decimal 5.1 5.2 and then 5.3 5.4 which is all really easy rock climbing where you're still in the scrambling zone and then right when you get up to like 5.4 is when the rock gets 
uh, slabby, so just past overhanging to vertical where you would have big holds and it would still be easy for any rock climber. And then it still gets gradually harder up to 510. And then at 5, so 5.10, 510 is what we call it. They put a letter in at the end of it. So it would be 510A, 510B, 510C, 510D. So that signifies the four different levels of 510. And that ABCD goes all the way up through our hardest climbs, which the hardest climb in the world today is a, a 515D that was done by Adam Andra in Norway. So it gets really specific. There's many different levels to the rock climbing grading system, which is you know kind of similar to how you get your black belt when you get a, a white belt with stripes on it and then a yellow belt with stripes on it. Same thing as with rock climbing. You got to complete each level as you get stronger going up through the grades. Did you practice martial arts? That just rang a bell for me. Yeah, I did karate from age five to 17. Okay. And what, what belt did you end up with? I got my black belt. <laughs> okay, good. Note to self. I like it. <laughs> yeah, I finished you're, it when we were in high school. You're definitely on the, the, the crossing the border tequila runs duty with that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Useful life skills. Um, but you, you referenced that uh, Norwegian climb and I, I looked that up and I guess Adam uh, Andra named that climb silence, uh, which which is kind of ironic and and I think he did it in a way because it it looks like such a serene location and as he's climbing it he's basically screaming uh nonstop to be able to power through some of those moves but I I found the the video to be absolutely remarkable and I'll post a link in the show notes um but how do you find that climb just looking at that and dissecting the way that he tackles what looks to be almost a, a nonstop overhang I I I thought that was pretty tremendous and also just the the preparation that went into it i liked how it delved into that a little bit it looked like he was using uh, a pretty vast array of different techniques and disciplines to prepare for it from visualization of each move and and committing that to memory uh and then also just basic body dynamics and really stretching the limit of uh, human pliability, just in terms of understanding how his knee could move, how his arms could move, how he could eke out just a little bit more reach or, or strength um, with, with every move. So I, I just found that all just really fascinating and you know encapsulated in a video that's only maybe 10 minutes long, but yeah, keen to get your thoughts on, on that climb. So that climb was incredible. When you break down the route into different segments, um, it definitely far surpasses anything that anybody else has climbed in a single pitch of rock climbing. Um, when you get into the really hard routes, they're often broken down into cruxes, which is the smaller segments of each, each section of rock that is difficult. And in that, Adam climbs through a V15, which is one of the most difficult boulder problems in the whole world. So then you throw having a rope and stop stopping the clip as well as uh, the, the sheer difficulty of the overhang, as you mentioned. It's incredible that he even climbed through a V15 on, on, on a rope. Um, but the route does not stop there. He then goes into a V13. And then I believe there's a mediocre rest so it means that there's not a very good hold that he but for him he can shake out and start to recover on it and then after that he does a v10 so doing those three boulder problems in a row on a rope while clipping is phenomenal the amount of endurance and practice it takes to do something like that is very far out of the reach of most climbers. I mean, Adam Andra it, made it to the Olympics and he will be an Olympic athlete when it does happen in climbing. Although as you heard, the Olympics are postponed as of now, 
but yeah, the sheer the sheer difficulty is mind blowing of of that route that Adam did called Silence. Yeah, yeah, that was interesting. With that, just before that finishing move, he took all that time, like you said, just to find that that really subtle rest area where he could just shake out each limb one by one, and he did that maybe three or four times just to gear up for that final little pitch there, which I guess you're saying was a V10. And it looked like only one or two moves, but I guess at that point, you just didn't want to fail and want to complete that climb, which I, th- I think he'd been working on for at least a couple of years in returning to uh, just in the, it looked like it was in the heartland of, of Norway somewhere. Um, so I can't imagine how easy that was to access, but curious as to whether or not you use any of those techniques as well in preparing for uh, some of your your goal setting or hardest climbs in terms of visualization or body dynamics or any mental training or anything like that. Yes, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> when sport climbing, I like to say that sport climbing is in a way a little more enjoyable than bouldering, especially at my age. I'm 35 years old now. When I was younger and had the all the energy in the world you know, you could boulder all day without really feeling the pain from it. However, bouldering is very difficult. Every time you pull on the route, every move is as hard as it can be. You're essentially pushing yourself to your utmost limits every time you're, every time you're bouldering. However, sport climbing, the first time up the route is the hardest, the hardest time. You don't know what to expect. You don't know where the holds are. You don't know where the rests are. But over time, as you break down the route and you learn the tricks to it, the route becomes easier and thus a little bit more enjoyable for me. Um, There is a little bit more fear in sport climbing because when you get above a bolt and you fall, you could take a 15 to 20 foot fall. So that does scare a lot of people. But over time, you get used to that and it becomes not, not even an issue where you're not even thinking about falling. So back to my point of sport climbing, I definitely break the route down into boulder problems or cruxes, as I mentioned before. So you know what to expect. You know when that difficult section of rock is going to be and where the rest is. So that kind of puts your mind at ease. So you get fired up mentally to fire through the crux as hard as you can, get to that big hold, rest, shake it out, recover, to then go on to the next crux where you repeat the same effort, uh, the same mental practice of, okay, here comes the crux. I'm going to get through it, get to the resting hold and shake out again to recover until you get to the anchors. Um, so yeah, sport climbing allows you to climb, you know, 90 to hundred feet of continuous climbing, which is to me more enjoyable than climbing just, um, you know, a measly 10 to 12 feet of a boulder problem trying as hard as I can every second. Right. Yeah, another thing that captivated me from the video and in speaking with you as well, and you turned me on to this, is the idea of of a project, and which I hadn't really been aware of before in rock climbing, but very well aware of it in terms of a creative sense in the way you're working on a book or a painting or a creative project, and that that applies in the rock climbing world as well, where you find a piece of rock that speaks to you, that you see a path through, that you decide you want to uh, climb, maybe climb in a way that hasn't been climbed before, and then you return to it over and over again. It looks like, especially if it's something that's a little bit harder or maybe just outside your range, uh, until you until you send it and finish that climb. So I think you're working on your own project now, right? Is that something you can speak about? I'm not sure uh, how personal how personal that goes. Yeah, um, well, I actually just finished my last two projects and I'm looking for a new one now. Last week I climbed a 513A and a 513B in the same day, which is the best I've ever climbed on a rope in a day. And those Hmm. are at this small overhanging wall called the beach, which is a super cool rock right on the river in the Poudre Canyon. And it's been snowing once a week here. So every time I get psyched to go try to find a new uh, sport climb, it's been snowing and then as the snow melts, it drips down the rock, making the rock unclimbable. So I haven't been able to find a new project yet. Um, 
but yeah, I, I mean, but I have leftover projects all over the country. These routes I've put a lot of effort into, but haven't ever finished. So it's just a matter of time of getting back there. Um, wow. Yeah. So you're, you're mentally, you've mentally cataloged different sites that you've started and haven't finished and want to return to. Yes, definitely. Wow. And are those projects unique to yourself in terms of a, a way through the rock that you've decided on, or are they established there? They're other people's projects, maybe they're named already. And then you also want to tackle them. Yes. I tend to find the most quality routes that people have already done. Some of my friends here are all into doing first ascents. So that's when you find a boulder, clean the boulder and climb it for the first time. However, me being new to Colorado, I'm, there's so many rock climbs out there that I haven't done. I do try to go and find the best ones and try to repeat those. Yeah. I mean, that just makes you wonder how many unclimbed uh, projects are around the world that you could just, that you could just hike into the backcountry somewhere and find something that speaks to you. And then, not necessarily claim it, but just undertake that as a new project. And I can see how that could become a calling in some way. What's the, what's the most amount of time that you think you've applied to any one project or a project that you've spent the most time on? Well, that's a good question. Hmm. I often do have done my hardest climbs within five or six days of effort. Um, I was on the mental note of sport climbing when you asked me that before, but my biggest project that's left over for bouldering is called Eternia. And this rock climb is a 30 foot roof. So it's a 30 foot upside down climb at 11,000 feet way up in Rocky mountain national park in this Canyon called chaos Canyon. And I have put 16 days of effort into this one boulder problem. I've probably tried to, a hundred times by now, and I haven't completed it. It is a super difficult boulder problem. It requires power endurance. Um, so climbing is broken down into, well, all, all a- athletics are broken down into endurance, power endurance, or power. You know, So power is how much force you can exert in one or two moves, whereas endurance is how long you can hold on for. But climbing a 30-foot upside-down roof it's called power endurance when you have to do a very hard move over and over and over again. This rock climb has 21 moves on it the way I do it. And those are just hand moves. Those aren't including foot moves. On decent handhold, but really bad feet. So if you lose your body tension at all, you slip off and fall on this rock climb. So I've definitely, yeah, I put 16 days and probably a hundred tries into, uh, yeah, I consider this the hardest boulder problem I've ever done. Or or not done because I haven't done it yet. <laughs> <laughs> right. And is that is that a is that something that you've named Eternia or is that something that's been sent before? Yeah, no, it's this established boulder problem. It's in the guidebook. I'm not sure who did it first. Um, but if you you go to YouTube and you look up Eternia, uh RMNP, Rocky Mountain National Park. There's probably six to seven videos of it where you can see what exactly I'm talking about. And you said you're, you're 30 feet off the ground. Nope. 30 feet up. It's a 30 foot roof. You're only five or six feet off the ground. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Cause yeah, earlier you were saying how yeah bouldering was within that range. So, so it's a 30 foot roof. I'm trying to imagine what that looks like. I guess I have to take a look at the video. Yeah, it's just, um, it's a big cave. <laughs> okay. It's a big cave. I also heard I also heard Chaos Canyon, so that sounds pretty safe. <laughs> so. Yeah, Chaos Canyon has some of the best hard bouldering in the world. Um, there's just one canyon in Rocky Mash- Rocky Ma- Rocky Mountain National Park that goes. Um, it starts at about. 10,000 feet in elevation and goes up to 12,000 feet. It's right next mm. to Hallett's Peak, which is on your right side or the east side of you, surrounded by like 13,000 foot domes. And you're just in this canyon with an endless boulder field that goes on for a few miles. And they're some of the most difficult rock climbs in the world. 
and definitely the best bouldering in the country up there in the summertime. And how many people do you usually find at that site spread out among those different problems? Not many. Only the strongest climbers go up there. Um, even on a Saturday or a Sunday, there might only be 20 climbers up in. Uh, so it's broken down into lower Chaos Canyon, upper Chaos Canyon, and upper, upper Chaos Canyon. So there's three different zones. And on the busiest day, there might only be five or six guys in upper, upper, maybe 10 people in upper. And then lower, because it's closer, could have 20 to 30 climbers. Lower Chaos Canyon can get fairly busy in the summertime. And how long does it take to hike into that area? Lower is about, if you're in really good shape, 45 minutes. I can get to upper in an hour if I'm going fast. Normal people, it'll take an hour and 15 to an hour and a half to get to upper chaos. And to go to upper, upper takes an hour, 45 to two hours of hiking straight uphill. Hmm. You're literally hiking up a mountain the whole way. So that's a, that's a little bit of a commitment there. Yeah, it is. It's a hour and a half drive. I guess you look for opportunities to camp and, and make it a, make it a two day. You're actually not allowed to camp in the park mm. at that at that area. So you have to do a day trip. Right. So pivoting to rock climbing as a whole and, and how it, it looks like it's having a bit of a moment right now in terms of going mainstream um, with, with free solo coming out. I know that's a, a little bit of a separate discipline that we can talk about, but that did win an Academy Award. A lot of people saw it. Now rock climbing is going to be in the Olympics. So curious as, as to what that means for the, the rock climbing community. And, and, uh, I guess we can kick off with free solo and the Dawn wall, which I watched, uh, it's on Netflix at the moment. And I watched that on your recommendation and, and I, I love that movie. I actually, I, I enjoyed it more than free solo. Um, but, but they're, they're different movies. Wondering if you could just shed some light on, on free solo and what the reaction was to that movie being so popular and, and, and what the, um, just what the, how the, how it was received by the rock climbing community. Free Solo was a very scary movie. Um, in my eyes, it was, it's not the best way I think that climbing was shown to the mainstream. Um, it is good that the Dawn Wall came out when Free Solo did because they contrast each other very well. Uh, rock climbing hasn't been known to the general public so much. As I mentioned earlier, it's about to go to the Olympics, which has not happened yet. And often the Olympics is what makes a sport popular. You know, climbing is kind of this underground sport that maybe your crazy buddy does and you never take seriously because when you hear his stories, you're like, oh, you're crazy, dude. Amen to that. And that's exactly what. That's, that, that's my experience with you. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's exactly what free solo did it's essentially your crazy buddy going out there doing something totally nuts um free solo is a story about a climber who took an enormous risk and decided to film it because so alex honnold climbed up a 3300 vertical sheer climbing face called El Cap on the nose in Yosemite, California, which is one of the most iconic pieces of rock in the world. Um, that rock has been in climbing history forever. And some of the deepest climbing roots are related to that, that one single, um, one single rock face. And what Alex did is he climbed the entire thing in one day without any protection at all. So if he slipped or the rock broke at any moment, he would have fell to his death with people watching on camera. And yeah, Alex, he pulled it off, blessed be, and uh, got famous for it. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's just a rare breed of climber, right? That pursues a non, non-protected, no rope climbing, right? So I mean, that that's have you ever seen any free soloers or, or is that something that's prevalent at all on any of the, the sites that you frequent? Yes. I have seen free soloers climbing for 16 years. I've come across almost everything you could see. Well, I shouldn't say that, but I've come across a lot in the, my day of rock climbing. And honestly, when I see people free solo, I will leave because 
if somebody's free soloing and they fall and they get hurt, I don't want to see that. Or if they die, mm-hmm. you know, that's something that could traumatize any person um, being involved with a major accident. And if you fall off a rock and you land on rock, it's not going to be a pretty sight no matter what, even if the person lives. Right. Um, so it's something that in history has always been what somebody goes, goes and does alone, you know, because you don't want to free soloing is all about you. It's your choice to risk your life and your well-being. You should not involve other people in that, which has always been the belief in climbing and free soloing. It's kind of just like courtesy, human courtesy, Yeah, you know, but that's why I think that it's looked down upon in the climbing community for free solo to come out as one of these big, uh, big screen movies where the whole world sees it for the first climb and their first impression of rock climbing is free soloing because that is not the way rock climbing is at all. Yeah. And as I mentioned, it's something that you rarely do see because people who do that want to be alone and don't want to involve other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And have you known people that have gotten injured rock climbing, even not free soloing, just sport climbing or bouldering? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, bouldering, I've seen people hurt their knees, people tear their ACLs or sprain their ankles, broken ankles. Um, I was at a crag at Bishop, California one time when this girl jumped off a boulder problem. Her feet were about five feet in the air. She jumped off the boulder problem, landed on on a boulder pad on flat ground and broke her ankle. Hmm. So (laughs) in climbing, it's like things can happen at any point in time. Uh, She did have weak bones. She told us that because everybody was like, how did you break your ankle? You just jumped onto a crash pad. And she said that it's, uh, she has weak bones and, you know, she's more prone to osteoporosis. So it was an unfortunate accident. I've seen some cracked heads open where people fall on a rope and they, they do, it's called backstepping the rope. So they step across the rope. So when they fall, it catches their foot and flips them upside down and causes you to usually twist. And when that happens, getting flipped upside down and twisting, they come in and smack their head on the rock and crack their, uh, foreheads open i've seen that happen twice Mm. and unfortunately you know when you talk about alex free soloing el cap in yosemite i've had a friend of mine die on el cap in yosemite that was about five years ago he was he just became a doctor his name was felix and he was climbing his friend flew from england they were climbing with a rope in Yosemite on El Cap on a route that's done been done thousands of times and his climbing partner above him grabbed this rock and pulled on it a rock that's been pulled on you know thousands of times and it just the rock decided to break it fell the length of the rope so about 200 feet and hit Felix in the chest and they say that he died on impact um they were about a thousand feet off the ground and it took it took 12 hours to get the body to the ground so, hmm. yeah, I've had, I've seen, you know, I wasn't there and I wasn't involved in that, but through my 16 years of climbing, I've seen, you know, from small, small sprained ankles to death. Right. And, and how do you feel about the overall safety and risk that's inherent in this sport? Is it certainly you don't believe it's unreasonable in that if you take proper precautions, you can mitigate that and it's not a necessarily overtly dangerous sport but uh how how do you view that you know i think about climbing the risk a lot um i think i consider myself a very safe climber i take very minimal risks um i have lots of crash pads i always make sure my landing's safe i climb with a friend so if something does happen there's a way to get out safely and um you know i trust and inspect the gear that i'm using to avoid any catastrophic failure and I think climbing when done properly with a educated, experienced climber is very safe. You know, you compare it to, I like to compare it to road biking, where I think road biking is very dangerous, especially for people who ride bikes on the road where a car or you, a tractor trailer truck could run you over. There's all these factors that aren't up to you. Whereas in climbing, your environment is very controlled and you're making the, judgment call on something that's not changing 
Whereas riding a road bike, like any person, drunk driver or somebody texting could kill you. So in my eyes, I think climbing is when done properly is a very safe sport. All right. Good. Stay safe. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but you know, on the same note, the margin of error is small. If you, if something, if a catastrophic, catastrophic failure does occur, like you could die or get seriously injured. Yeah. Yeah. And just to, to circle back to free solo and the other movie I mentioned, Don wall. So Don wall, you have, uh, Tommy Caldwell climbing, I guess, just another side of El Capitan. And that's a totally different climb. They're roped in. They, they don't, they don't do it in one day. They spend like two and a half weeks on the face, I guess, just to do one, uh, uninterrupted climb all the way up and just doing it in pitches. And then once they completed a pitch, they could come back down to their portal edge and spend the night. Um, but I'm curious as to the difference in, in the technicalities of those two climbs, because they're two different routes. Alex manages one in one day uh, without any ropes. And then that pair, Tommy, and I guess his name was Kevin, I think, maybe Kevin Jorgensen, um, yes. did that in like two and a half weeks. Mm-hmm. So what, what, are, what was the difference between those two routes and the grades associated with how challenging those were? Because I, I guess off the top of my head, it seems like Alex's uh, route was easier in the sense that he could do it in a day and the major threat was that he wasn't roped in. Whereas Tommy and Kevin's route was a little bit more technical and comprised of, of higher rated pitches and moves the whole way up and took a longer time. Is that, is that accurate? Yes. Um, so what Alex did was the most difficult pitch, which really comes down to one or two moves was five thirteen a what Kevin and Tommy did goes up to five fourteen D and the Don wall on the South, a wall. So it's essentially the wall to the right of the nose where Alex climbed is this sheer tall blank wall that has very little roots and in history had never been free climbed before. So what Tommy did was he spent about three years dangling off the rope just to find a possible way up this route. And then in a total of seven years, finally pieced it together. And it came out with many 514, which is way harder than the one pitch that Alex did. Many 514 and 513 pitches, just a couple 512 pitches in it, which made it the most difficult multi-pitch climb in the world by far. So the sheer difficulty of what Tommy and Kevin did versus Alex is is huge. Um, Tommy and Kevin's route was way more physically difficult than what Alex did. What Alex did would be essentially a warm up for what Tommy and Kevin did. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Tommy and Kevin, they're, they're falling repeatedly. They're trying to pass certain, certain pitches that they had never even completed before in training on a couple of those, like that, that super long dyno where they have to like jump and do this massive jump traverse. And I was really stricken with how Tommy managed to manage to kind of circumvent that dyno and get around it and <laughs> to climb down essentially to get around it and manage to, c- to continue going up. And Kevin got stuck on this one pitch that he needed to get across the rock and really basically do an eagle like a spread eagle stretch with his arms and like maybe have one finger push on either side to get around. And he, he failed on it repeatedly over the course of a few days. And ultimately it was Tommy's dream, this idea he'd been, he'd been um, dissecting it for years. He had at that point bypassed Kevin who was really just belaying him and they had worked their way up the face. And now Tommy was in within reach of achieving that, that big dream and realized a certain level of of loneliness or incompletion if he was to do that without Kevin, who had been uh, partnering uh, in this endeavor. And he climbed back down and basically refused to keep going until Kevin got across that one pitch. And I think a lot of people, and at that point, the news media was following. I remember being in Australia, and it was basically being pressed in real time. And Kevin did it. Like he he managed to to get across that that pitch there. And 
And I, I just thought that was super heroic of Tommy to come down and make that call and just be comfortable being like, yeah, I've been living on a rock for two weeks, eating, shitting off the tent. <laughs> like it's not getting any easier. And I'm just going to, I'm going to make sure my, my partner gets through as well. So that, that begs the question, Adam, would you do that for me? <laughs> Have I ever left you behind? <laughs> I'm pretty sure you've come back at least a few times, actually. Uh, <laughs> actually, I, I, yeah, I'd hope that I, I had the same uh, selfishness that Tommy Cobble did in that moment. It was very uh, huge of Tommy to take the time because, yeah, with weather and all these other factors, if Kevin failed or bad weather came in, then they Tommy wouldn't have completed his seven-year goal. So that was definitely huge of of Tommy. Yeah. And I hope that I'm as big of a person as he. <laughs> yeah. I remember once in Switzerland, you, you were, you know, showing me the ropes. Literally, we had just been working on a Via Ferretta, which is not climbing at all. It's basically climbing an iron ladder. And it's like a high elevation obstacle course where you're going up this ladder. There's a guided line that follows, follows it and you're clipping up and over it. Um, with two separate uh, carabiners so that you're always locked in. Uh, for me, it's it's pretty much a perfect entryway into climbing and just getting used to uh, vertigo, honestly, and just heights, which I'm not always super comfortable with. So that's at least for me, my my future um, climbing and, and high elevation goal. But I do recall coming down from that, you, you uh, rappelled down before me and I was supposed to follow you down with the line, or I, th I think you had, you had the line set up in a way that you came down first and I was to follow. And I just couldn't figure out the, the rig I had. I had some kind of tool on it that I was supposed to <laughs> use in a certain <laughs> way. And I couldn't figure it out. I was like, I don't think I got this. I don't have, and you were, you had already gone all the way down. You were like screaming up at me. You're like, if, do I have to come up there? This thing better be broken if I'm coming back up there. <laughs> you, you climbed back up. And I think to my credit, it was a little twisted. But uh, <laughs> that was the time you came back. You, d you did come back. I was not stranded. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Good times. We'll have to get you back <laughs> over there. Oh, yeah. That'd be awesome. So moving into climbing for the uninitiated or someone who wants to start out, they're listening to this podcast. Now they're super pumped. They're like, screw this. I'm not going to listen to a podcast. I'm going to go rock climb right now. What's the best way for someone to find rock climbing close to them? Ooh, um, honestly, I think all new climbers should start in the in the gym so they can be familiar with what they're getting themselves into. But from there, the there's this website called Mountain Project, mountainproject.com, and on that you can look up areas of climbing all over the world. People document the climbing areas and put it on there usually with sometimes pictures of the climbs, uh, directions of how to get there. And sometimes people even put GPS coordinates where you could plug those into your phone and your phone will take you right to the boulder. So I think mountainproject.com is a great source for new climbers and people wanting to go outside for their first time. Hmm. Okay. And what would you say is a good, if any, <laughs> a certain fitness level before starting out, is there some kind of uh, some kind of litmus test that you should feel comfortable with before going to a climbing gym? No, you know I like to tell people that anybody of any fitness level can climb. Climbing is a full body sport. People are like, "Oh, I have no upper body strength," but a lot of climbing's in your legs, in your abs, and you'll surprise yourself of what you can do. So I encourage anybody of any fitness level to go climbing as long as you don't have any injuries. If you have a back injury, a lower back injury, a spine injury, a bad knee or an ankle, anything that can get aggravated or worsened by falling, because when you go to a climbing gym, you're going to fall and there's going to be impact on your body. Those are things that I would suggest people to clear it with their doctor or physical therapist before trying climbing but if you have no injuries any human should go try climbing it's an awesome sport that everybody can enjoy yeah and, and after i mean you were in good shape to begin with you were an excellent all-around athlete you know from soccer to you know hiking running swimming everything but 
now that you've done it for 16 years, how has it molded your body or changed your physique? Well, um, it's definitely developed my back muscles in a way that has been surprising. Um, climbing involves all your stabilizer muscles. So you get all these little muscles that you never knew you had. Um, climbing is all about having a good strength to weight ratio. So I try to, I do try to stay skinny. I try not to get bulky. Um, I played lacrosse in high school and freshman year of college and definitely had some extra muscle on me. So I've leaned out a little bit. Um, I've developed, yeah, bigger shoulders, lats, as well as biceps and forearms. Hmm. And I, I try to keep my lower body as slim as possible, even though I call them my soccer thighs. I, you know, I have pretty well-developed thigh muscles from all the years of playing soccer and karate. And I played soccer just as much as you. I don't have uh, those well-developed thighs you're talking about. So, <laughs> <laughs> question uh, for you: Karate, then? Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> karate. Um, <laughs> regarding fingerboards or hangboards, which I'm currently shopping around for, is that a good way to to get your pull-up on, at least for from a home gym perspective? I mean, I'm. I'm partial to them because I think they're great for pull-ups with those two large knobs that they have on either side. But then I know they offer all those different hold patterns in the middle um, that you can use. Though I'm, I'm also conscious that for beginners, you, you could perhaps, I think I read this, you could injure a, ling a ligament or a tendon if you're not used to it in your forearms or anything like that. Um, but would that be a good recommended step? And if so, I don't know if there's any particular hangboards that you recommend um, that I should be checking out. Yeah, absolutely. The hangboard is a great way to get your <clears throat> your fingers and your tendons in shape um, for rock climbing. I recommend the tension hangboard. Hang <laughs> the tension, uh, the fingerboard and the hangboard are the same thing. And Tension is a climbing company in Denver, Colorado, and they make a great hangboard that any climber can use. They even mark the millimeters of each hold going from all the way down to six millimeters up to full hand grips, which is about a 35 to 40 millimeter grip. So that way you can very scientifically track your progress of how much stronger you're getting, whether you're hanging for time and seconds or doing pull-ups on various grips. So getting a hangboard is an excellent way for any new climber to get stronger and develop the finger tendon and ligament strength that they need to climb rocks. Hmm. And what other gear would you recommend for someone just starting out? What's, what's the minimum gear required? So all you really need is climbing shoes and chalk. Um, you could get those at REI or any local outdoor store. You can also get them on the internet. Uh, you get climbing shoes from anywhere from $100 to $200. And chalk is usually 5 bucks. You can get a chalk bag to put it in, which ranges about $20 usually. Um, and then if you want to climb on a rope, you need a harness. And those start around $40 to $50 and get a little more expensive from there. But you can also just go to a climbing gym and rent the gear. You know, a day in the climbing gym is usually $25 to $30 for climbing for the whole day. And the gear you need that goes along with it. Yeah. And I guess considering the current situation and all the gyms being closed, I guess if you were looking to, to start outside, just stay a foot or two off the ground. And, uh, unless you know what you're doing with, with crash pads and you have someone around to help catch you. But I think, I guess that's already looking next level. Um, so I guess the best advice there would just be stay low and look to move, uh, side by side. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, now is not the time to get injured. The hospitals are overwhelmed with the COVID-19 virus that's going around. So we want to stay safe as possible, not put ourselves at any risk of hurting ourselves. So we end up in the hospital. Yeah. Well, for people that are, uh, hopefully enjoying their, their staycations. Are, are there any useful resources for learning climbing online or otherwise that, that you recommend? Yes. Uh, easy one to remember is mellow climbing on YouTube. Uh, mellow climbing has some of the strongest and best boulders in the world. They travel the world and they put all their sends. You can see a bunch of V15s and V16s as well as various aesthetic lines. 
um, that are, yeah. So check out mellow climbing on YouTube. Okay. And just knowing that you're, you're kind of a life student and you're always improving yourself and, and I'm always interested in what you're currently watching or listening to or reading any, any other videos or books or podcasts that you recommend? Yeah, there is many things out there. Where to start with that? Um, <laughs> right. Anything recent? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I would, I would say definitely check out YouTube for your local areas. If you type in uh, whatever area you're interested in going to, you can, I'm sure that there'll be videos of, of climbing there. Um, there's many podcasts and books. Eric Horst, H O R S T. He's a great author who breaks things down into, he breaks them down scientifically, but does put them in terms that anybody can understand. He's written many climbing books, uh, from the beginner to the expert level. So you could definitely check out him. Um, as I mentioned, mellow climbing and, if you're a female, we haven't really talked about female climbers, but Alex Puccio is one of the strongest female climbers in the world. And she has a great Instagram that a lot of people follow. You can check out Alex Puccio on Instagram. Excellent. All right. Well, I, I don't really have a lightning round for you today, but I didn't know if, I guess if I had one question, just wondering if there were any current quotes or mantras that you're currently living by or helping to guide you in your climbing life or your yoga or, or any of your other pursuits? <laughs> mm, let's see. <laughs> well, I don't really have a mantra, but uh, I always, I always think to myself that I should try it again. Um, a lot of climbers will, will get defeated quickly, but uh, an old climber when I started climbing always told me, you know, just get up and try it again because you'll, you never know uh, if you'll surprise yourself or do moves or push past or break through barriers. Climbing is all about breaking through barriers of things that you think is impossible. A lot of people think climbing is impossible just from looking at it, but yeah, get up and try it again. Um, and I think that goes for all aspects of fitness and health, you know, get off the couch, go for a run, start moving your body. Once you get those endorphins going, you'll always feel better and healthier. Um, and better about yourself at the end of the day. So get up and try it again. Love it. Love it. Surprisingly G-rated from you. I thought, I thought we were going to, when you were answering that question, I went back into the mental time machine and I thought of some pretty funny sayings that, uh, that we're going to leave unsaid for now. But you know what? Maybe we'll revisit them on the next pod. I'll come up with a list of just funny ones that make me chuckle. Um, when I remember that we could definitely do a, a more obnoxious version. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, where, where, where can we find you online or otherwise? What, what's the best way to get in touch? Uh, so on Instagram, you can look me up at coach underscore underscore Adam Janicki. Um, that's my, my public Instagram Okay, where you can find me. And, um, I, am the director of fitness and youth programs at Wooden Mountain Climbing Gym in Loveland, Colorado. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm, yeah, I'm a nutritionist and a personal trainer. Um, and my Instagram handle is a way that anybody can get in touch with me on the public forum. Yeah. And see how shredded you are and set some personal fitness goals. <laughs> it's some, some fitspo right there. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> well, try to maintain. <laughs> yeah, well, I won't take up any any more of your time. I know that you're gearing up for another expedition today. It might be uh, might be spending the night out in the mountains. But thank you so much for joining and and I like your. We, we talked a little bit about um, possible ideas about expanding into your other your other athletic and nutrition and fitness disciplines that you you do as a as a fitness coach and a personal trainer and a nutritionist. So look forward to that. And until then, good luck on the rock. All right. Thank you very much. You guys stay safe. Can't wait to see you again next. All right. See you later. All right. Later. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening today. 
And if you've gotten this far to the outro, congratulations, because we have a quick bonus segment for you. But before we get to that, just to let you know, you can find all the show notes of the resources mentioned in the show today, as well as links to everything that Adam discussed. You can find that at modernplaybook.com slash podcast. Uh, And the episodes will be listed there moving forward, as well as links to each of the shows. And now for a quick bonus on something that we did mention in the podcast, we talked about silence, which is the hardest climb in the world, uh, completed by Adam Andra in 2017. And that was in the, I'm going to butcher some names here, but that was in the Han Schellerin Cave in Flattenger, Norway. And if you want to hear what it sounds like, to power through the hardest moves on the hardest route ever completed, here's a quick 30-second soundbite. You can check out the full video on YouTube. Just Google Adam Andra and Silence, or you can find it in the show notes. So till next time, enjoy, and thank you for listening. (laughs) 